Matthew's Gospel and chapter 20. Matthew 20, and our text is at verses 1 to 16. Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, uh, a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers to pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now uh, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Well, we come to another uh, kingdom parable. We have these kingdom parables smattered throughout the Gospel of Matthew because we live in a world where we do things a certain way. Uh, uh, We have a a system of rewards for duties uh, 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 performed. We have a certain way of looking at things. Uh, We pursue things on the basis of a merit system. Or we look at things from a very narrow point of view. And Jesus comes along and He says, the kingdom of God is completely other than that. The kingdom of God is eternal. And therefore you must look at the kingdom from an eternal perspective, not in a narrow, worldly perspective. You must look at people from uh, a kingdom point of view. That the weaker have more status in the eyes of God than those who are strong. That, that it is the, those who mourn who shall be comforted. It is the meek, not the strong, that will inherit the earth. It's just topsy-turvy. Everything is turned upside down. And so, in order to get that into our heads, Jesus has to give this series of parables by saying the kingdom of God is like. 
It's, it's, it goes against the grain. It doesn't go along with our way of thinking. And so Jesus uh, has to, in many different ways, in many different parables, drive home the point, and sometimes in very shocking ways. This, is, this parable is one of them, and no doubt as you were reading it along with me, you felt yourself moving to the side of the workers who came early on in the day. And no matter how many times you read this parable, I think we all feel that sense. Our, our sense of right and wrong and fairness wells up within us. Because we've grown up, most of us, not all of us quite yet, as workers. As people who work along other, side, other people. And we know how much they get paid and how much we get paid. How much they do and, and how much we do and so on. And, and uh, so we're, we're always assessing those kinds of questions in our minds. And if we feel hard done by, then there's, there, you know, we'll raise objections. And so you, uh, you hear a lot about uh, things like pay equity or the pay gap or uh, all of those questions that have been with us for many, many years. Uh, people getting their fair share. We're not the only ones who think that way. The Bible speaks a great deal of that. And before we go into this parable and find out what it's about, one of the first things that we have to realize is that God is the one that impresses these things upon us the most. That an employer is not to hold back from his employees their day's wages, but to pay them for the work that they have done. That, is, that principle is solidly ingrained in the Word of God. To be fair. It goes along with the principle of you shall not steal. To, uh, to uh, do your workers out of what they deserve as work is to steal from them. You're not giving them what is their, uh, their wage. And so that is, I think, something that we need to really... Uh, think about as we go into this parable which at first glance strikes us as grossly unfair. And as, as Jesus unfolds this, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house. And the master of the, uh, the, 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 the uh, master in, in many of these Jewish parables that Jesus was speaking out of his culture and oftentimes parables were used by others and oftentimes this image of a vineyard or a, the master was used by others and the master often referred to God the vineyard often to the people of God uh, to those uh, who were God's people Isaiah 5, for example, speaks of that quite a lot. That, that, uh, that the vineyard of God was God's people. That He came to them looking for rich, luscious grapes because of His goodness to them, but He found sour grapes. He poured His goodness out on them. He protected them. He nourished them. But they, did not, they, they were not the crop that He expected. 
And so, what does the story say? What does the parable say to us? The master of the house went out early in the morning and hired laborers for the vineyard. And so what often happened was people would stand around in a, in a, in a courtyard perhaps and wait for someone to come along and hire them. We see this all over the world even today. People showing up for places for work. You used to see it in pictures of the Great Depression. You know, the, the steel yard or the, the factory and the, there was the gates there. And, and all this big long line of men would stand outside and the foreman would come along and say, you, 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 and you. In you come. They'd open the gate and in they come. The other guys would have to go home uh, with no work. And, and possibly to a starving family. And that day's work may have been just what they were uh, needing to get them over a bad time. And that's why in the Bible, God says that wages are not to be withheld from a man. That if you take his cloak, that you will return it to him by the evening. Because God cares about workers. He cares about fair wages. Uh, and so, it is that way around the world in many places as well. People will show up for work. And they're so very desperate oftentimes to get a little bit of work because it could be the means of their family surviving another day or, or maybe not being kicked out of your apartment or losing your home or whatever it may be. And so these are very serious things uh, uh, to God. And so He, he, he comes uh, and... and uh, he says, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So in other words, there was a verbal agreement that he would pay them a day's wages. We might say roughly $100 in today's wages uh, for a day's work. And they, a day in, the, in, in this passage it goes from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening, roughly 12 hours. And so... Uh, this is what they agreed on, a, dinner, a, a, a day's wages. Uh, at, and uh, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So he needs more workers. So he goes back to the marketplace and he said to them, you go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And so you have these uh, workers that have, it's simple to understand, they have come at various parts of the day. The work is long. The work is hard. So far, so good. But, eight, verse 8, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last up to the first. In other words, beginning with those who have just come in at the last moment. Even that is a bit strange, isn't it? You would think if the poor guy was there since 6 o'clock in the morning and it was 6 o'clock in the evening and he's been working hard with the heat of the day and laboring 
uh, a long and difficult uh, task, you would want to pay him first so he can get home to his family. He's just been in this vineyard just too long. I think that's what any one of us would want to do. But Jesus makes a point of saying, no, call the ones who just came in and give them their wages first. So if you're one that was there since 6 in the morning, you may think, well, okay, well, well, whatever. Well, just, just, I just want to get paid. I just want to get in here. If they want to get, we just want to pay them first, that's fine. Now when those, uh, verse 10, hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Uh, I'm sorry, let's read back in verse 9. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Each of them received the amount that was agreed upon to the first group that came at six o'clock in the morning. So the, the people who were there first were pretty excited. Because it says, now when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more. As we, we would, wouldn't we? I mean, normally speaking, this is what would happen. Any employer worth his salt would do that very thing. Can you imagine paying someone the, the, uh, the exact same who showed up the last hour, last 60 minutes of the day, as the same as those who have been there all day, those of you who are employers or those of you who are workers, you know that, that out of the sense of fairness, that would be the case. But what we need to see here, one caveat we need to say is that what Jesus is doing here is not giving a model for modern economies. He's not saying that this, is, this ought to be the way between employer and employee because no one would work for anyone. There would be constant fighting and bickering and there'd be bitterness and, and all the rest of it. And so Jesus is not saying that. As, and as I said at the outset, God is about fairness and paying people what you owe them. And so these men are perhaps excited. They thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And so uh, they, they say, uh, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only an hour, and you gave them equal to, uh, made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And so on. Now we may not agree with what this employer was doing. It would have created, no doubt, a great sense of bitterness in the hearts of those who just showed up early at 6 o'clock in the morning. But we cannot deny that he has a case, right? That he is just. That the problem they have is not with his justice, but with his generosity. And he had agreed with them. A verbal agreement. 
Will you work all day for a denarius? Yes, we will. But when the time came for all the others to be paid, they were paid more. In fact, 12 times more as those who had shown up to work at the beginning of the day. But whether we like the, the, the master or not, we have to agree that he was just. And if you took it before a judge, he would win. The problem that they had was with a sense of fairness. They believed that they should get what, uh, what reflected their, their energy and their hours and the, he, the, the heat and the sweat and the toil. And like I say, Jesus is all for that. But Jesus is saying at the beginning, the kingdom of God is like. He's wanting us to understand something about God's ways in terms of what is fair and what is not fair. And the question is here, does it seem fair? And because Jesus is thinking about the kingdom of God, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not fair. That salvation is a matter not of fairness. We can look at these, this situation and there arises a sense within us that's not fair and we become indignant. And yet the Bible says that we don't receive our just reward for the wages of sin is what death if we received our just reward if we got our fair dessert the bible says we would get damnation we would get hell the wages of sin is death but that god had enacted the most what seems to be the most unfair action in all human history by taking the spotless sinless lamb of god and making him guilty for what you and i did do we react with the same indignation at that that we may with a situation like this do we cry out and say that's not fair when we look at Jesus, the sinless one, the Son of God, the Lamb of God hanging on the cross, being spit upon, cursed, having a crown of thorns driven into His head, forsaken by all His friends, becoming an object of the Father's wrath. That, friends, is the greatest injustice from, a, from our point of view in human history. And that is how God deals with us. He deals with us in His generosity. And these men were coming along and saying, they, they, the, the owner was saying, you are angry because I'm generous. You can't handle my generosity. You can't handle my graciousness toward these who came at the 11th hour. You see, this parable is a hard parable for those who don't recognize that all that we have 
is dependent upon God's grace. The job itself was the gracious gift of the, the master. They wouldn't have had anything had the master not called them. And if, if the practice of uh, the previous chapter is any indication, maybe the family would have been sold, thrown into debtor's prison. Maybe they would have starved. Maybe they would have lost their home. They would have been completely destroyed. But now they have a job. They're able to eat. They're able to survive. And yet, their focus is on how unfair it is. For the Christian, the Christian who is really taken up with the graciousness of God, it doesn't matter how God has dealt with them, but that they are saved compared to somebody else. You see, that's what God's grace does to us. If we have served Him all our lives from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening, or like the thief on the cross came in at the 11th hour, salvation is salvation. And we receive the gift of salvation which is the same for all people who believe in Jesus. And so God's grace ought to be the cause for joy. Not jealousy and resentment. And so, and this is what Jesus is saying here. The Master says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Jesus was dealing with that all over the place. With the Jews and the Gentiles. Or with those Jews who were profligate sinners. People who had just wasted their lives and yet God extends to them mercy just at the drop of a hat. Others were indignant. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman it is who is touching him. That was the attitude that Jesus was dealing with all the time. And so God is generous to those who deserve nothing. That it is all of grace. Whether you start at 6 a.m. or you come in at the last hour, it's all of grace. That the Master's dealing with all the people is gracious. That his survi their survival is due to Him alone. Salvation is a free gift of God's mercy without any human merit at all. And it's according to God's own ways of doing things. Not according to ours. We can't dictate to God. We can't define for God what is fair or what is not fair because He deals with us on the principle of grace. And if it's of grace and it's not of works, it's not of merit. Christianity is the the religion of grace, of God's goodness, God's favor to us. Not of, I do certain things and I win the approval of my God, and so on. God's grace is sovereign. This is why Paul 
goes into it in Romans 9. He says, but who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? God has sovereignty over how He dispenses His salvation. He's not subject to the whims of mankind. This is also something that is seen later on, and I think Jesus is dealing with it here as well, but more later on as we, as we see the Gentiles coming in. There were the Jewish people for hundreds of years slaving under the sacrificial system, going way back to Moses, bringing their sacrifice, washing their hands, pouring out water, dressing in a certain way. Can you imagine the burden of doing that today? Can you imagine on a hot day like this having to bring your lamb into the temple and hearing it being you know, sacrificed and the blood all over the place? The burden that the Jews bore for all those years. And then Jesus comes along and the Gentiles start hearing about this Jesus person. Hey, this sounds pretty good. The Son of God, the God who made all things, as Paul is talking in Athens and Mars Hill, comes and he talks to them about Jesus and God's unmerited love and grace to mankind if they but believe and trust in Him. And Wow, this is fantastic. What do I have to do to get this? How do I come into the kingdom of God? Peter and Paul and John and the apostles, they say, with great joy, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Then you've got other people who are standing back and say, wait a minute. There's got to be some work to this. They can't just waltz in like that and expect to have an equal standing with us. We who as a people have been bearing the burden of the heat all day with these sacrifices and laws and all the rest of it. Surely they must be circumcised and keep the right days and eat the right foods and don't do this and don't do that. And they had a huge council over it. The Jerusalem council where they had to meet and decide. But they had to conclude that God was bringing these latecomers in by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Just as the Jews were being saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It wasn't based on the law, based on circumcision, or eating the right foods, or keeping the right days. There was even Paul himself who said, from a young boy, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a, a born of the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, Paul was saying, I was there from six in the morning. But Paul doesn't go around kicking the stones against the wall and kicking the dust up in the air and being all angry. Ah, you know, here I am, have grown up with this all my life, and here are these Gentiles, Corinthians and Philippians, and they just waltz in just at the sound of the name of Jesus and they get everything handed to them. Paul doesn't do that, does he? Praise God he doesn't do it. But the apostles are excited. They're thrilled that the Gentiles are coming in by faith in Jesus Christ alone, even though they came in at the very 11th hour. And they celebrate the grace of God. They say, yes, we've been, we've been brought up in this. We've been going to the temple. We've been hearing the law. We've been hearing the promises and the prophecies and all the rest of it. We've been trying to do things according to... 
But we still, still come in through faith in Jesus Christ and it's always the way it's ever been. And they rejoice that the Gentiles come in even at the last hour. It wasn't just after the church was created. It was to be, you can go back to the thief on the cross. You talk about the 11th hour. His whole life was wasted as a criminal. And even while he was on the cross, he was cursing Jesus along with the other one. Get us down out of here if you are the Messiah. Save yourself and us. And then God calls him. There's a work in his heart. And he looks over at Jesus. And he sees him not as a derelict criminal. He sees him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, you have a kingdom. And you're going to be in that kingdom. And you're going to be ruling that kingdom. Jesus, have mercy on me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. You came at the last minute of the last hour and you are there. He doesn't linger. That's the grace of God. It doesn't matter if they've been laboring long and hard or come at the very last. They are saved based on the very same thing. The shed blood of Jesus. See, it's not our works. It's not our merit. It's not our efforts. Uh, this morning after church in Cape Traverse, uh, Emma came out the, the door and she said, it reminded me of Jonah. Jonah also was of the same mind. He says, these Ninevites don't deserve your grace. And he had a hard time with it. And even though he went and preached to them that, that if they, unless they repent, God would overthrow the city in 40 days, God had compassion on them and didn't destroy them. And he sulked. He said, this is not fair. There's something not right about this. He had a hard time with the grace of God, didn't he? So I said to Emma, That's, I wish I had known that before I preached the sermon in Cape Travers. And I said to her, I'm going to use that uh, uh, in, in Disable. And that's true. Jonah didn't realize that it was all of grace, whether you are a wicked Ninevite or you are a prophet of Israel, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. And this is what God does. Paul describes the Jews there in Romans 9. To them belong the covenants and the promises and the giving of the law and all of these things. But then the Gentiles come in. Where the Jews don't because they pursue it on the basis of faith. The Jews were doing it by works. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who we are, what station we are in life. It's all based on the same thing. It's difficult for us because we naturally gravitate toward a merit-based system. And Jesus just throws a bomb into the middle of the whole thing and He blows up our, our thinking on it and says, it's absolutely not. It's all of grace. We have a hard time with that. I was reading last summer, uh, Corey Ten Boone's The Hiding Place, 
the first movie I saw when I was a kid at the movie theaters in Charlottetown and Grafton Street. Billy Graham Association put it on, but I was reading the book again last summer and spoke of, she went, she was speaking at a certain event somewhere in Europe and she met there a man who came up to her who was a prison guard, an SS man, one of Hitler's henchmen at Ravensbrück. And he said to her, Fräulein, I too am a believer in Jesus Christ. And he reached out his hand to shake her hand and she froze. Because that natural sense with caught her unawares. And she didn't know if she could reach out his hand. He who had done such evil, unmitigated evil. And you know what? There are many SS people who came to faith in Christ after, after um, the war. There was a certain pastor who, I think it was during the Nuremberg trials, went in, was given access to some of these and spoke to them. Many disbelieved. Many continued in the hardness, hard evil of their lives. But some did come to faith. And Corey Ten Boone felt it very difficult. She, but she did. She reached out her hand to shake his hand. She felt, as it were, a kind of a power, a love that surged through her body for this person. And she was able to accept him. Her, she who had from a younger, much younger age had hidden Jews in her home in Harlem in, in Holland and paid the price. Her father was killed. Her, her sister Betsy was also killed in the concentration camp. And she had suffered the evil of Ravensbrook. And then, having gone through all of that, to have this man who lived such a privileged life, a wicked life, simply come up to her and extend her, his hand and say, I too am a believer in the Son of God. What would you do? She accepted him as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had shown up at the 11th hour. At the 59th minute of the 11th hour, many of them took their own lives because they, they could not even go on facing life after what they did. This man believed because it's all of grace. Corey Ten Boom believed it was all of grace. They came in at the 11th hour. Maybe you have not come in yet. Maybe Jesus has come to you this morning and saying, why are you standing here idle? Why have you not come in? And you see, in spite of the fact that you've been holding God at bay all these years and saying no, 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 and calling Him a liar because you say, I don't believe what you say about my soul and about hell and the eternal life, even in spite of all of those things, it being very much the 11th hour with you, the Master has come and He is inviting you to come as well, to come in to the Kingdom of God by faith. And though you may say, I have nothing, I've wasted my life, I've not believed, 
I've not read my Bible. I've not prayed. I've not identified with the people of God or anything like that. I'm just, I just go to church and I come and go and that's it and I just want to be left alone. And God says, even now, there's still room. Even now you can come. The 11th hour, though it may be, and you will be afforded the same measure of grace and mercy as those who have been Christians all their lives. And that you will come in with the same joy and rejoicing that Jesus talked about when He said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. He doesn't say how long they've been a sinner or whether they grew up in a Christian home or not. More joy in heaven than over 99 who have no need of repentance. Are you standing idle? Have you been... Have, have, have you responded to that call? Isn't God gracious that He's still bearing with you? How long? We don't know. And this, this parable is not saying, oh well, I'll wait till the end of my life. I guess I've got some time then, haven't I? No, you do not. That's not what the parable is saying. Because the Bible always says, whether it's here or whether Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It's not a thing to be put off. Neither is it saying that it doesn't matter how you live in this life. That we all get the same at the end. No, he's not saying that either. Because the Bible clearly says that those who suffer for Jesus in this life and sacrifice for Him, great is their reward in heaven. That's... That, that's a principle of the Word of God. But what it is saying is that what is needful for salvation is the same generous grace that God extends to each one of us, young or old, rich or poor, churchgoer, non-churchgoer, a believer who's been a believer all their life, or who is just come in at the 11th hour. And Jesus shakes up their world because grace is uncomfortable. Grace shakes us out of our, out, out of our comfort zone, just as it did with Corey Ten Boom, just as it did with Jonah, just as it did with all so many other people, and with us ourselves. But a true Christian will rejoice to see anybody coming at any time into the kingdom of God and be thankful for it. And to be able to say like Paul, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was at work in me. He didn't take credit for himself. That's why even after all Paul has done, says, I am an unworthy servant. It's all of your grace. And that's true for each one of us today. Let us pray.